Good morning. How are you all doing today? He is risen. Amen. If you are joining us here at Hosanna for the first time on a Resurrection Sunday morning, I want to say welcome to all of you. If you're joining us online for the first time, welcome. We're so glad to be celebrating today with you. I am Pastor Nathan, and today we are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, in Scripture, we find so many stories, and in all the resurrection stories that we find in Scripture, we find that the, the apostles and the other disciples, they were all on a journey of some kind, a journey to understand what the resurrection was, what it was all about, and really the reason they were on these journeys is because a whole new reality was breaking into their lives. A whole new reality was challenging their understanding um, about what was taking place. If you read the stories in scripture, far from depicting Jesus' followers and the disciples as too quick to believe or naive, we kind of see them described as shocked and troubled, and even hesitating and doubting to believe the resurrection of Jesus Christ. These were not naive men and women prone to making up lies and stories just to trick people into the reality of the resurrection. We see stories of people trying to understand and alleviate their grief over the loss of their Lord. And in all these stories, we find them quite stunned, quite shocked by this new reality, and struggling to wrap wrap their minds around what was taking place there um, on resurrection morning. And so a beautiful example that we have in scripture of the journey to resurrection faith is that of Mary Magdalene. And that's the story we're gonna be looking at this morning in John chapter 20. Mary Magdalene's story, she is a wonderful woman who begins her resurrection journey on the day, Sunday morning, that Jesus was risen from the dead. She starts her journey simply with an intention to finalize the burial rituals for the corpse of Jesus that were begun a week before. But she ends her journey on this resurrection morning by acknowledging that she had seen the Lord. And that is what we celebrate, that today we see the risen Lord. This morning we're gonna look at her journey as described in the Gospel of John and see what it has to teach us each about our own journey to resurrection faith. But we're gonna start in praise and worship because that's what we do. (laughs) We wanna worship God and glorify his name, especially on this day as we're celebrating the new life that he came to and the new life he gives us through his resurrection. And so if you guys will all join me in prayer as we open. Father, we thank you so much, God, for today. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together as your people. We thank you, Lord, that that you didn't just die on the cross for our sins, Lord, but then you rose three days later, God, defeating sin and death forever. And God, today truly is a day to remember what you've done for us. So God, we wanna worship you, we wanna praise you. And Lord, for those today that are on their own journey of faith, Lord, some of us have, have gone through circumstances even recently, Lord, where there's great fear of what's to come where there may be a sense of hopelessness and darkness, Lord. But God, the resurrection speaks of the power that you have to change everything, to do the impossible. And Lord, as your children, as those that call you our Lord and Savior and have entered into that resurrection faith ourselves, Lord, we know that no matter how dark it is, 
There is always new life to come. And so, God, we thank you. We praise you. We love you, God. Be blessed now as we worship you, God, and speak to us and encourage us this morning about who you are and what you've done and what that means for us. We thank you for everything, and we love you so dearly. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. We are going to be in John chapter 20 this morning. And the background to the verses we're looking at, uh, we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 18, but the background is verses 1 through 9, which we covered this morning at our sunrise service. And if you were unable to join us this morning, well, wow, you missed out, right? You're going to have to watch it online and, 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 and go from there. But no, we covered these verses and looked at the background of what set up Mary's experience. You know, in verse 1 of chapter John, Verse 20, it tells us that Mary had gone to the tomb this resurrection Sunday morning very early while it was still dark. And when she arrived at the tomb in the darkness, she had found that the stone, the very heavy stone that was rolled in front of the tomb opening had been rolled away. But to her surprise and her grief, she found the tomb empty. She found the body of Jesus missing. And so it says she ran to get Peter and John, who then ran back with her to the tomb, and they wanted to see for themselves. And in those verses, we see that although John believed in the resurrection in that moment, Peter was still unsure. And Mary definitely was still unsure, as we're going to see in her story here in a moment. But John, although he believed, didn't say anything. At least we have nothing recorded as him saying anything at the site. And so... Peter and John head back to the disciples, but Mary Magdalene stays behind in great grief. You see, her Lord had been crucified just a few days earlier, and she had watched as he had suffered this horrible, horrible, torturous death called crucifixion on the cross. And she had seen him perish and known that he was placed into a tomb, and for her and the other disciples at this point, it was all darkness. It was all fear. It was all worry. Because as far as they knew, the entire ministry of Jesus, the hope that they had of what he was going to do and change in the world, it was all over. And so in verse 10 of John 20, we pick up the story. It says that the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying one at the head and the other at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you crying? Now before anybody get offended, the term woman in those times was not a derogatory term as it is often used today. It was simply a form of address. Right? Guys, we say dude. Right? Same type of thing. Woman, just a kind address to her. But they inquired, why are you crying? And she said, because they've taken away my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they've put him. Having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. Turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. 
Don't cling to me, Jesus told her, since I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my father and to your father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he had said to her. Mary's journey here in these verses is a wonderful picture, a wonderful story of the journey from fear to faith. Because as the story opens up, the first thing we see about Mary is her fearful worry, her anxiety, her grief. She was heartbroken. The, the Lord that she loved, the one who had ministered into her life and spoken so many truths into her life and, and, and done so many wonderful things in her life, not, not even mentioning all the other miracles in other people's lives that she had seen, he died. And he didn't just die, he suffered the most horrible death one could possibly imagine. And so she comes to the tomb, and she's looking for and expecting to see a corpse. She's expecting to see a dead body. And she'd come to the tomb for, for one purpose this morning. In her grief, in her fear, she had come to finish the, the burial rituals, the, the, the anointing and all of that they would do in preparing the body for burial. She was coming to finish that process, to finish those burial customs for her Jesus. If you guys remember, he was crucified on a Friday and Passover was right around the corner and so they had hurriedly taken his body off the cross as he perished at 3 p.m. in the afternoon, hurriedly took it down so that they could wrap everything up and get ready for Passover and, and so he hastily was put into the tomb. And now the Passover and Sabbath were done three days later and it was time to finish anointing the body and to finish all the usual burial customs. You know, on that Friday, Mary had been through immense trauma, as I said, immense trauma. She had witnessed her beloved Jesus, her Messiah, brutally tortured, beaten, mocked, and then slowly killed through crucifixion. And for her, it seemed as if things could not possibly get worse, and yet they just did. After all he suffered and went through, now somebody, according to her, took the body. Hadn't he suffered enough? Hadn't he experienced enough indignities going through what he just went through a few days prior? Now somebody steals his body, someone takes it? She couldn't hang. She couldn't handle it. And it would appear, according to her, that his body had been taken possibly by grave robbers, which was a very common thing at the day. And we read this in verse 2 of John 20. But strangely, interestingly enough, they had left behind the linen clothes, the burial cloths. And then even more strangely, they had taken the, the linen cloth that was usually wrapped around the head of the dead body, and it had been taken and neatly folded and set to the side. Who steals a body and takes the time to take the clothing off? Who steals a body and let alone then goes, oh, let's fold up the headscarf? But that's what was before her. She saw that, but never mind that. Things were a total disaster. It couldn't get any worse. And now it seemed that she couldn't even perform this final kindness that she wanted to perform for her Lord and her Messiah. But because of her fearful worry, because of her anxiety, because of her grief, she wasn't able to look at the information before her properly. I mean, Jesus hadn't been quiet about what was going to take place. Jesus had very clearly told his disciples on more than one occasion that I'm going to die and I'm going to rise on the third day. 
And, and it was the third day. And he wasn't here. It was just as he said it was going to be. And, and in that moment, the empty tomb didn't signify grave robbers. The empty tomb spoke of resurrection, new life as it does today. But in that moment, in her fear and her anxious grief, Mary could only draw the most negative of conclusions, could only see the worst case scenario. And this, of course, is, is so often what we do, isn't it? We'll have situations and we'll have the information in front of us. Someone will say something. We'll see something or hear something. And we might instantly get defensive and draw the worst possible conclusion. Somebody might say something that hurts us. And instead of going, maybe they didn't mean it that way, we go, why do you hate me so much? Why do you want to hurt me that way? Right? Or, or something doesn't go our way and, oh, everything must be against me. And we misinterpret things in the most negative light. So many of us, on account of fear, possibly past trauma in our lives, tend to place the most negative interpretation on the events that take place in our daily life. I don't know if it's just our nature, but we're so quick to seize on to the bad news and to hang on to the bad news, but dismiss the good news that comes before us too easily. Oftentimes, we barely notice that even in the midst of a bad day, so many things went right. So many things happened in exactly the best possible way, but we can't see those things. We, we, we instead focus on the few things that went wrong. And often those things that go wrong are big. They're massive. They're huge things. And so we easily focus in on the negative and forget that even in painful moments, as certain doors close, other doors open. We forget in those painful moments that new possibilities often emerge out of the most difficult and dark of circumstances. And so Mary here is about to experience something radically new, radically different. But for the moment, her grief has just locked her in to the only possible outcome that she could conceive, that my Lord who is dead has now been stolen away from the tomb. And so in verse 11, it says, as she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. As she saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. Pretty miraculous thing to see. She sees these two angels sitting there where the body of Jesus had been. Angels, supernatural beings. And not only are they sitting there, but then they speak to her. They say in verse 13, they say to her, woman, why are you crying? Why are you crying? Why are you in such grief? Now, in the original language, this is what's known as a rhetorical question. If you guys don't know what a rhetorical question is, a rhetorical question is, is really a statement said in the form of a question. It's a statement where it's almost there's no question, but the answer is already there. It's as if the angels are saying, Mary, Think about what you're looking at. Think about what day it is. Remember what Jesus had said to you. You shouldn't be crying in grief. You shouldn't be concerned with fear and worry. And it's the angels, it seems as if they're inviting her to recall all these details. To recall the things Jesus promised. To recall his promises to rise. To, to remember all of that. As they say, think about why you're crying right now. 
Should you be crying? Is this the time for that grief and that worry? Remember, Mary, should you be crying over an empty tomb? Jesus, who had raised others from the dead, she was well aware, who had cast out blindness in people's lives, healed the sick, calmed storms, healed lepers, done all these miracles, he said that he would rise on the third day. Mary, why are you weeping over an empty tomb? But she was consumed in her moment of grief. Because they've taken away my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they've put him. Despite seeing two supernatural beings sitting there asking her, think about why you're crying, she will have none of it in this moment. In her grief, she won't even take up the consideration offered to her by these angels. She won't even entertain the possibility and just says flatly to them, look, I'm looking for a dead body that's been taken away. I'm looking for this dead body, and I don't know where it is. And there's an implication here where she's almost like, look, can, can you tell me where you put it so I could finish the task that I'm here to do? It's all over. It's done. I just want to finish this one final kindness to Jesus and finish these burial rites, so please tell me. And that's what grief does to us. Grief, hurt, anguish, it takes away our capacity to see clearly other possibilities in a situation. It robs us of being able to see other interpretations of the facts. And that is then what causes us to so easily turn into the worst possible scenario of things, the worst possible assumption of things, the worst possible interpretation. We assume the worst. And often it's just the grief, the fear, the worry. And so Mary here is at her lowest, locked into this fearful worry and colossal grief that she's experiencing. Even in the face of supernatural beings, she can't let go. But look at verse 14. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Same rhetorical question. Who is it that you're seeking? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will take him away. Now, I don't know what it was about him that made her think gardener. Like, did he have a backpack with the blower on or something? We don't know. We don't know why she doesn't recognize him. I mean, is his appearance that different? in this moment was maybe it was just her eyes. Like she's crying, right? She's so full of tears. She can't really see clearly. And of course it's dark at this time as she had arrived at the tomb. We don't know. But I think it's more than her tears or any physical thing. It's again, her grief, her inability to entertain any other possibility than what she can imagine. Blinded her to what was right in front of her. She wasn't willing to entertain anything else, and so not recognizing Jesus before her, she goes on speaking of Jesus as nothing more than a dead body. Woman, this man says to her, why are you crying? Who are you seeking? What does she say? Look, if you're the one that took the body, the dead body I'm here to see, just tell me where it's at. Please, just tell me. And too often this is our condition as well. 
our lack of understanding, our fear, our worry, our grief will blind us to the presence of Jesus in the moment right in front of us. Isn't that what happens? Jesus has promised to never leave us, never forsake us. And yet we'll find ourselves in time under such anguish that we'll entertain the thoughts, where did Jesus go? Is he here? Why isn't he with me? Why don't I feel his presence? And the reality is, is in the life of a believer, Jesus is, is more present than anyone or anything else in the world at all times in your life because he loves you so dearly you are his child that he died for. He doesn't leave. He doesn't turn away. And yet we seem to see everyone and everything in these moments except him. We see the worst interpretations except Jesus. We believe the, 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 the darkest things about things instead of the promises of God because of the hurt and the grief and the worry. And this is a spiritual blindness that we sometimes just allow into our own lives. We think it'll never get better. And Jesus is like, do you trust me? And we're like, yeah, but you don't understand my difficulty. You don't understand my spouse. You don't understand my kids. You don't understand my work. And, 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 and we look in those moments and all we see is the horrible things that are taking place and we're like, I'm here alone. And Jesus is like, what are you talking about? I'm right there with you. But we'll instead look up and go, oh, it's the gardener. You know, we must make a journey in faith to learn to see him regardless of the circumstances in our lives. To learn to believe he is there. We, we, we have to come to this reality of Christian living, which is to be in, living a life where, where we have conscious contact with Jesus at every moment of every day, that we know and believe that he is right there with us no matter what is taking place, no matter what is happening, how dark it is, how scary it is, how hurtful the situation is, that Jesus is there, and he is the miracle worker that can do all things. We have to believe that. Just because things are dark doesn't mean that, that he isn't there. I mean, think about it. Just because the sun, um, just because a, a, a blind person can't see the sun, does that mean the sun isn't out there? Of course not. The sun is there. Neither does the Lord cease to be present to us simply because we can't see him or recognize him in the moment. We can never forget that. One of the paradoxes of our faith that I think is just a neat one is that we often learn by hearing, not by sight. Right in Romans 10, 17, it says, faith comes by what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. Now, we often think about that in the context of evangelism, right? But it still applies in our lives as believers, where we have these moments where our faith is tested, and we can't see Jesus because of our grief, because of our inability to even conceptualize that he's there in that moment. And we have to remember the message about Christ, the truths of his word, who he is, what he has promised. And here he promised, I will rise on the third day. And so in verse 16, it tells us, Jesus said to her, Mary. You know, in the moments of difficulty in our lives, I believe that still small voice of God speaking into us sometimes is just speaking our name. 
We're freaking out. We're worried. We're crying. It's over. Everything's done. And it's like our Lord just says, Nathan. He says, John. He says, whatever your name is, Mary. Mary. And then turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. He speaks her name, and in that moment, her eyes are open and she recognizes Jesus. She recognizes the risen Lord. It's not the gardener at all. It's Jesus, who I came expecting to find a dead body, is standing before me. You know, the Bible says the sheep recognize the voice of the shepherd. But sometimes we don't listen. We need to listen. And we need to think about what he's told us and what he's promised us so that we would hear his voice when he speaks to us. And here, Mary recognizes Jesus and her faith is made alive. I think that's one of the big lessons here is that we need to learn to allow the Lord to speak to us. To allow him to call our name, get our attention. And he does that today through his word. That's why, you know, we're always talking about read the word, right? It's part of our mission statement to know the truth, to study the Bible, to know what it is Jesus has to say so that we learn how to recognize his voice, so that we learn, can learn to know him and to see him by faith, not by fleshly sight. None of us here in this room today that know Jesus Christ and the Lord and Savior have seen him physically. We may have had visions of him. Some people have seen visions of, of the Lord and God has blessed them with that. But, but him bodily here physically, none of us have seen that. And the Bible actually says those who believe by faith, you have it better than those who saw everything. But Jesus is standing there before her. And her faith is made alive as she hears his voice. Now, her faith is only a beginning faith. It's a very initial faith. It's a baby faith, right? She would be a baby Christian at this point if we wanted to call it that. Her faith needs maturing because we see in the next statement, Jesus says, don't cling to me. Don't cling to me since I have not yet ascended to the Father in verse 17. Having come to recognize the Lord Jesus standing before her, Mary initially wants to smother him. And I don't fault her for that. I would probably do the same thing, just want to leap into his arms. Like, I thought you were dead. I thought you were gone. I thought it was over. And you're standing here in front of me? But her clinging, it's, it's not merely physical. Her clinging to him speaks of a kind of clinging to the past. You see, while it's true that the actual body of Jesus was, was alive and restored to her in that moment, that humanity was raised differently. It was raised in a glorified humanity. It wasn't the same Jesus before. He now had a glorified existence. And it was something new that Mary had to step back and behold. And so he says, don't cling to me. Don't cling to what was. Mary's gesture of clinging to the Lord and, and his reaction to it, to me, suggests that, that there was something significant that had changed that Mary did not yet understand. She clings to him as he was. She clings to him as as their relationship was prior to the crucifixion. She remembers him as he was and, and, and as, as she wanted him to be. 
The Lord that, that we've walked with for years and have seen, you are back. That Lord, you are back. And it's like she's saying, Jesus, it's you. Let's pick up where we left off before you got crucified. She thinks of Jesus of Nazareth physically alive, to, alive again. But she needs also now to see him, not as he was, but to see him as he is in his glory, in his glorified existence. And that's what his crucifixion led to, his glory, his exaltation. This is why Jesus speaks further to the fact that he's like, look, don't cling to me. I'm not yet ascended to my father. There's something different happening here. There's a new relationship. There's a whole new paradigm. We too have to lay hold of a deeper understanding of Jesus as we make our own journeys from fear to faith. This is what the resurrection is all about. This is why we celebrate this every year. This is why we talk about it throughout the year. This is why when we're preaching the gospel, we don't just say, God loves you so much and he has a wonderful plan for your life. We say, God died for your sins. Why? Because you're a sinner and, and there's this bad news and the judgment was coming upon you, but God loved you, right? We, we, we tell the whole story so that people would have not just a shallow surface understanding of Jesus, but a deeper understanding. And as our understanding of Jesus gets deeper and deeper in our walk with him, our faith grows. Our faith blossoms. Jesus didn't just die on the cross and lay in a tomb. He wasn't just a good man or a neat prophet or a guru. He wasn't just some human guy who had some nice things to say and maybe did some magic tricks and then was crucified and dead in a tomb, no. Yes, he was God become man and lived in a, as a man and taught as a man and died as a man, but then he rose glorified, defeating death forever. The power, the control, the sting of death, creating a brand new relationship between us and God. He didn't just pay the penalty of sin and, and then leave us dead in our spirit. But no, he forgave us and birthed us anew and we're born again because of him. By, he does that by resurrecting our dead spiritual lives and giving us a new spiritual life. And that's what we celebrate in the resurrection. Our sins are forgiven and we are made new. Our dead lives and all the chaos and all the filth and all the just grossness of that, the penalty of that paid for by our God who loves us and then we're given a new heart and a new life and made completely new people. New creatures, the Bible says. And for each one of us, that is different. When, when there is a resurrection in our life, when we are born again and come to life through the power of the Spirit and after him and his resurrection, we're changed. When I got saved, I remember my mom, one of the first things she noticed that was different about me is I didn't cuss and I didn't get so angry I wanted to break everything. And she would go, what happened to you? Where's my son who, 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 who changed you with a, an alien, Right? And for everybody, it's a different thing, but God changes you. That doesn't mean you're some perfect person from that moment. You know, God will start on some things, and there's other things he'll start working on later, but, but you're changed. The biggest change is you have a desire to honor God and say, God, I want to live for you. God, I want to glorify you in my life. God, I choose to live by faith and see you in the moment, every moment of my life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, 
Paul said, from now on then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we had known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, and the old has passed away. See, the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That's what God does. That's the change God brings into our life. And for some of you this morning, maybe in this room or online, you can hear the voice of God calling your name. And God is calling you to him and you've never put your faith in him. You've never fully trusted in him as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you've heard some things about him. Maybe you're kind of analyzing and thinking about it, but he's speaking to you this morning. He's calling your name and you hear it and he's saying, believe in me because I am alive. I'm not a dead body in the tomb. I'm not a rumor that the disciples made up. I'm not some story that that was just concocted by grief-stricken followers of mine. I am God Almighty, the creator of the universe, the savior of your soul, and I'm alive and I'm talking to you this morning. And he's calling your name. And just like Mary, you should turn around and listen. Verse, 20, or verse 17 of chapter 20 of John, after Mary sees him, cries out, teacher. He says, go to my brothers. This is the first instruction he gives Mary. Go to my brothers. I find something very interesting here that this is the first time in the Gospels, chronologically, the very first time that he ever refers to the apostles as brothers. First time. It seems that it took the passion and the death and the resurrection to bring this to reality. Because the relationship was different. That's why he's saying, don't cling to me, Mary. There's a different dynamic going on here now. In Romans, <coughs> excuse me, chapter eight, verse 29, it says, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters the firstborn, the leader, the pioneer, if you will, which is what Hebrews chapter two, verse 10 tells us. It says, for in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was entirely appropriate that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through his sufferings. For the one who sanctifies and, the, and those who are sanctified all have one father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will sing hymns to you in the congregation. And again, I will trust in him. And again, here I am with the children God gave me. There was a whole different thing taking place after the crucifixion of Christ, after he rose from the dead, after he defeated death. The opportunity then to grant us forgiveness and to grant us salvation and to grant us adoption into his family as co-heirs of Christ, all of that was now on the table and open and available because of what he did. So he said, go to my brothers and tell them that I am sending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And then she told them what he had said to her. So in this last step of Mary's journey from fear to faith, we see a very significant step here. We see her coming to a fuller faith based upon her interaction and her recognition of the risen Jesus. We see that in her statement there where she says, I have seen the Lord. 
You see, earlier, she said, they've taken my Lord's body. But there's a different implication in that word Lord there. You see, she could have said, hey guys, I've seen Jesus. You know, that man that walked with us for the last few years, that taught us, that did so many things, the one we saw, yeah, I've seen Jesus. But she doesn't say that. She goes, I have seen the Lord. The Lord. There seems to be a shift in her understanding now. She goes from simply using Lord to refer to what was, in her perspective, a dead body. A corpse to now referring to the Lord of glory. God Almighty, risen and alive forevermore. I have seen Jesus who is Lord and God, she's saying. He is risen and he's ascending and he's given me a word for you guys. This is resurrection faith. To see the glory of Jesus and understand that he truly is the Lord of glory and the word who is God. To see Jesus as he is, not just a corpse come back to life, but instead to be able to see him as the eternal Lord of all, creator of all things, alive forevermore. Jesus is Lord and he is risen from the dead. And that's what we celebrate this morning. In Philippians 2, 5, it says that Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what we celebrate today, our risen Lord. Mary Magdalene had made a journey from fear to faith, a journey where she started out by looking for a dead body to anoint, assuming the worst, accepting the negative, but she ends her journey here with a mature declaration of the resurrection, I have seen the Lord, he is alive. It's truly Jesus who, who is bodily risen, yeah, but he's glorified now, and he now shines forth the full brilliance of his glory as the eternal son of God. And so to come to resurrection faith is not only to see Jesus of Nazareth, who died on the cross, no longer a dead body, but it's even more to behold that he is God Almighty, the Lord of glory. Mary has made this journey. What about you this morning? You may have come here because, well, it's Easter. That's what you do. Maybe you came with a family member, but you don't personally have a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You've never accepted him as your Lord and Savior. And maybe that's because of fears in your lives. You're worried that if you commit your life to him, oh my gosh, you're just gonna, people are going to think of you as one of those Christians now. That if you commit your life to him, oh, everything's going to change. I promise you it will change for the better. For the better. Prior to coming to Christ, I thought Christians were the most obnoxious people I'd ever met. Now I'm one of those obnoxious people. 
Now, we're not called to be obnoxious. We're called to be loving and kind and to share this message. But this message is the most important message you will ever hear. And if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior this morning, this holiday is not about bunnies and Easter eggs. Okay, there's nothing wrong with finding eggs and eating candy. That's fun. But it's not about bunnies and all this other stuff. It is about Jesus Christ, God who came to this earth, clothed himself in flesh, lived as a man, died our death on the cross, but then rose again living forevermore. And he could resurrect the deadness in your life this morning. He wants to resurrect the deadness in your life this morning. That's why he came. That's why he did what he did. And in a moment, we're going to pray, and I'm going to give you an opportunity. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior this morning, to accept him as such. If you're online, I'm going to give you that same opportunity. God loved you so much that before the universe even existed, he knew you, he knew your life, he knew your need, and he said, I'm going to die for that one. And I urge you, just like Mary, don't let the fear and the anxiety and the worry blind you to what is standing right in front of you. Hope, joy, salvation. Let's pray. Father, we praise you this morning. God, we are so grateful to celebrate this, this, this holiday, Lord, and, and we celebrate this, this day every single year, and every single year it is equally as magnificent and, and awe-inspiring to consider that you didn't just die for us, but you rose again, and you give us that same resurrection in our lives to so our faith in you. You forgive us of our sins, and you give us a new heart and a, and a new way to be, Lord, and God, every single one of us that have experienced that know that the life we live with you is far better than the life we lived without you. But God, there may be some in this room this morning and watching online that are here for whatever reason. But God, you have been speaking to them all morning long. You have been speaking to them by name, Lord. They have heard you call them by name. And that as they've heard this story of Mary and as they have heard maybe in numerous other times about who you are and what you desire, God, today is the day of their salvation and you are calling them to turn, to look at you, to receive the freedom and the forgiveness you have for them because they have sinned against you. And so while we're praying with all heads bowed and eyes closed, this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and he has been speaking to you about your need for him. That he has been speaking to you about the, the darkness in your life, the sins that you have committed, the wrong that you have done. And you know that there's guilt for doing those things. And you know that as any guilty criminal, that justice must be meted out on that. And this morning I tell you that one day you will stand before Almighty God. This morning, God is speaking to you and saying, I want to forgive you of all that sin. I want to forgive you of the control sin has on your life. I want to set you free from all of that. To bring a love into your life that you've never experienced. To live in a way you've never been able to without God Almighty. So while we're praying, heads bowed, eyes closed, if you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning, I just want you to raise your hand where you're seated and say, yeah, I want to be saved this morning. I want to experience the resurrection in my life this morning. 
If you're online, you're watching this, obviously I can't see you, but if you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning, just let us know in the chat on whatever platform you're watching on. Say, I want to receive Jesus this morning. Because there's no important decision you will ever make. This decision affects your entire eternity. You're forever. You may be walking in a place where all you can see is darkness. All you can see is the negative. All you can see is the hopelessness. God wants to free you from all of that. He wants to forgive you and change your life. If you want to receive him this morning, just raise your hand where I can see it. Let me pray with you. Simple prayer of salvation. All right. Well, God, we come before you, Lord. And for those here, perhaps online, that want to receive you, just repeat this prayer after me. Say, Lord God, I know I've sinned. I'm controlled by fear, anxiousness, grief. Lord, I can't see you through the life that is in front of me, but I want to. I hear you calling me, Lord, and I'm responding. Come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Save me. Forgive me of all my sin. Come into me, into my life, and teach me how to live for you. Resurrect my spirit this morning. And thank you for loving me so much. Thank you for loving me so much. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer this morning, um, we have some, we call them New Believers Packs, and it's just some information to help you on this journey that you're making with the Lord. If you're online and you received Christ this morning, uh, we want to get you a New Believers Pack as well. Just let us know in the chat so we could get in contact with you, and I will get your address and all that stuff and mail it out to you. But for the rest of us, we've been walking with the Lord. We know the Lord. Let's not get stuck in those moments of darkness, those moments of fear and anxiety. Instead, let's remember what took place 2,000 years ago on this resurrection morning. That God Almighty, who came and lived and taught and died our death, really died a death, came back to life, was resurrected, which only he could do, and he offers that same resurrection to us. And so this morning, if you're needing resurrection in relationships, resurrection in hope, resurrection in whatever it is, God is standing right there speaking your name, saying, just turn to me. And so I encourage all of us to let the Lord do what he wants to do in our lives. Let him work, let him be, believe his word and his promises, and life will be better. Amen? God bless you guys.